Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Joining me today is someone I'm so excited to have on because, you know, there, there are a few ways to become billionaires today. One is you raise some money from venture capitalists. Maybe you, you sell 10% of the business. And if the overall valuation is a billion dollars for a moment, you can consider yourself maybe a billionaire in some way. Or another way to do it is to do what today's guest has done. John Katsi, Katsi Matidis. I practiced so much, John, before I, That's I started. That's not bad. That's not bad. Have you considered shortening it to Katz? You're a New Yorker like me. Well, you know, when I ran for mayor, I called it Katz, 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 C-A-T-S. In high school, they used to call me Katsi. We had a few good laughs. And that's what life is all about, being able to do things, to have a few laughs, and, and try to accomplish something at the same time. You accomplish so much. All right. I read about it in your book. It's called How Far Do You Want to Go? Lessons from a Common Sense Billionaire. I grew up knowing your grocery stores as the ones in Manhattan, where we in Queens and Brooklyn aspire to go. And I didn't realize how much else you'd done. I didn't realize how much money you'd made from this. I didn't realize the guy behind those grocery stores was a billionaire who owned oil companies, who owned an airline. Anyway, we're going to get into all of this. Is the bulk of your money from the grocery stores that your parents didn't want you to get into or from these other businesses? The bulk of, well, my money was not in the grocery stores. We started in the grocery store because the capital needed to start a grocery store business was very, very little. Mm -hmm. I was working for like a big brother. I used to call him cousin. His name was Tony. While I was going to New York University, NYU, Uptown Campus, he says to me, I'm arguing with my uncle all day. I'm going to have family problems. I want you to buy my half of the store. I said, Tony, I'm going to school. I can't. No, you have to do it. So he sold me half of his store for $10,000, 10 $1,000 notes. So I took over half the store. I go to school. In those days, college was five days a week. I go to school five days a week, four o'clock in the afternoon. After school, I go to the store, work till one o'clock in the morning, go home, sleep a few hours, and go back to school by nine o'clock in the morning. It's a little bit uh, treacherous. But I never had one argument with his uncle. You know why? I made the place profitable. Write this down. If partners don't make money, they will have arguments, for sure. If partners make money, they'll never argue. And uh, that was the beginning of, of my supermarket uh, career. When it was one store, what did you do to make it grow? I saw in the book that you said that it was marketing, and marketing is all about telling people. But what specifically did you do that worked for you? You make it better. How? When you're standing there and you say, what does the customer and, 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 you know, like I tell, I tell people, page 255 in my book, it gives you 16 rules on, on how to deal with customers and, and make them happy. Well, you end up making the consumer happy. You give them what they want. You, you uh, I mean, for instance, what I would do, I used to love cats. Cats and dogs, but cats in New York City, in Manhattan especially, there was, there, there was three million New Yorkers in Manhattan. There's probably three million cats. I used to buy cat food at the right price, deal to deal for manufacturers. I had cat food on sale 52 weeks a year. You know what customers did? They came with my store and, and, and bought cat food all the time. And I make the customers happy. Making customers happy 
it helps make success. So, John, what you're saying is you, you found a few items that people really cared about. You priced them low because you got good deals on them. And when a customer came in to buy those, like cat food, they would come and stay and buy some other items. And that's and one of the things forever. you did. And then in my second store, when I opened up the first Red Apple store on 87th Street, I had a company cat. And the cat used to sit on top of the register all the time. Customers used to love cats. They used to come in, pet the, pet the cat, buy I the cat. people hated cats around food because they're stepping around on everything. Oh, we never had one mouse in our store. <laughs> what would you rather have, mice or cats? <laughs> All right, fair point. All right, how about this? So it seems to me then it's the these grocery stores that you leveraged. You talked in your book about how you borrowed money against them and then you were able to buy other things. But... I was an engineer. I took up engineering in school. I knew nothing about the finance. I had no bank. I had no bank financing. You know who financed me? Customers. My, no, my customers did business for me, but it was my vendors. My vendors ended up falling in love with me. And uh, I had 12 mentors. Eight of the 12 were probably were Jewish. Why? It was the Jewish people that were in the grocery business in that time in New York area. And uh, they were also in the real estate business. So when I, I proved to my vendors, whether it was my grocery supplier, Sam Stein, he owned a company called Filigree Foods. It was a wholesaler, a big wholesaler. Uh -huh. Gary Meyer owned a, the milk company. Uh, Richard, well, oh my God, Rosenbaum. Uh, he owned the ice cream companies. And they all supported me. So if I want to build a new store, Sam Stein used to call his controller, give John more credit. He wants to open up another store. So I, I opened up 10 stores from the age of 20, 21 to about 24 with no bank credits. All right. And, and you talk in your book about how by that age you became a millionaire. Do you remember I specifically becoming a millionaire? Stores. That's when a million dollars was really worth a million dollars. Yes, right. Yeah. When, when there were few people who had it, when it was like a goal of a lifetime to even get close to it, let alone to hit it. Do you remember when you actually hit it? Was it a memorable day or was it just another day and I, the numbers were in the background? You know, my mentors would say, you're doing well and one day you'll do even better. And that day came when I realized no matter how well your stores do, if you have a lease and you don't have real estate, mm -hmm. guess what? You have no business. So in 1977, the world was coming to an end. The and and and, and that real estate in New York what? was worth nothing. Yes. I took five million dollars, four million dollars in cash flow from the real from from the supermarket companies, put it into the real estate. What real estate that was? What's the Greek Jewish word? Fakata. Yeah. In other words, is that, that's a good Greek Jewish word, isn't it? Very New York. And, uh, and um, I bought it. I bought some from uh, Alexander's department store, Robin Farkas. Uh, when they were on 96th Street and Broadway, they were going to build a big Alexander's department store. When, when the community shot them down, they sold me the building on 99th and Broadway for $400,000. 
I sold that building for forty million. Okay, wait. Let me pause for a second. What I want to understand is how you were able to see that New York City would come back afterwards, and the the calculation. One of the things that you said in your book was, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want to make sure to really get this. One of the things you said in your book was, you looked at a piece of real estate and you said, look, if I can't make this profitable by putting a tenant in, I think I can put in a grocery store, and then I don't have to deal with these Fakasta, uh, uh, real estate guys. I, that's what it was. That's correct. Um, I used the grocery stores to back up my real estate. So even if it becomes like a break-even business, you still get to own it. I without paid a mortgage. But, but, then, but Alexander's, people don't realize. I grew up in New York, so I remember. Alexander's was massive. It was like bigger than Walmart of the time in Manhattan. Are you even going to be able to sell like what, cat food in this Alexander's giant place? Was was that really the the calculation, or was there something else? Take me through no, your head, John. It, it was a, there was they were Alexander's was buying all the property in the neighborhood, and that's just one of the properties they just sold. No, but if you if you couldn't find a tenant for it, or if you couldn't sell it years from then, what was your backup? Was it to actually really open up a grocery store? There? Yes, well, it up was, a grocery store. Yes. and you could open up that big of a grocery store and feel confident that you'd make money? Well, the piece they sold me was about 20,000, 25,000 feet. I see. It wasn't the whole big, got it, it got it. It wasn't the whole big thing. No, it was different. Okay. Now, now the, the, the key thing is, all the real estate I, I bought in 1977 when the world was coming to an end. Yeah. When I woke up three, four years later, I made my first hundred million. And that's because? how I made my first hundred million. And see, a billion is easy once you make your first hundred million. And that put, then I, I went into, I loved, I, you know, I always wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. I, I got the congressional nomination for, for West Point. So I wanted to start to fly. So I okay. bought my first jet at the age of whatever I was, 29. Okay. And, and I said to my pilot, you know, it's expensive to run this thing. So what do we do? What do we do? We go down to Atlantic City. We make a deal with, with, with the casinos. You know, they'll bring in their suckers, their customers, from Philadelphia, from, from New York, by limousine. They used to lose their money, have dinner, and come back, and they were happy. I convinced the casinos. You know what I convinced them? We'll I bring them in from a six, 700-mile radius. We'll fly them into Atlantic City. They'll, you, you'll pay us $5,000 for the jet. They'll lose twenty thousand dollars. You you let them you 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 buy them dinner, and they're happy as a a pig in. Well, I'm not allowed to say the four letter word. A pig in. You know. The, I get it. In slop, let's say, in mud or is. whatever they. Yes. And, and they'll be happy. Oh my God! The casino sent me down by corporate jet. And we took that company, uh, from one company jet, and me and Jim Jacobs to 48 jets, and we sold that company to Santuli eventually from Goldman Sachs. Guess what? That company became NetJets. And Jim Jacobs stayed with them, and they eventually sold it to Buffett. And, they, and Jim Jacobs, my pilot, started, he ran 800 airplanes. That's a lot of it. For this jet business that you had started, and yes. the reason you started it was because you I wanted said, to fly jets. But you didn't want to pay money. You wanted to see, can I make a profit out of this? That's it. Okay, you let me have, pause for a second. You have to be creative. 
John, this is the kind of energy that I miss. And this is what I loved about your book. And you even said, look, my parents didn't come from Greece because they were poor. They came because they wanted a better life. And I think you even said more money, more like this is the type of thing we don't talk about much. This my two grandfathers came. One came from Constantinople. Yeah. With a Turkish passport. One came from from uh, uh, the Greek island of Mysidos with an Italian passport. Mm-hmm. They were looking for the for the for the streets paved with gold. Well, it took me a hundred years to find it. <laughs> they found it. All right, I found it. They didn't did find it, but did your parents? I found it. I went to um, I went to Brooklyn Tech like you did. I went to NYU like you wait, did. Wait, wait, all modern molder of men. By then, it was no longer men. They also got rid of the the naked swimming, which apparently was going on in your time, right? Yes. Yeah, that was something that we couldn't believe. Team. They also had um, a, a shooting range, apparently, that we used to see, but we couldn't believe in New York there was a shooting range for high school kids. Were you there Absolutely. then? Absolutely. And we had a radio station. I think we had I a radio station that. all the way on top, on uh, top floor. And Cousin Brucey, who works for us at WABC, that's where he learned how to run a radio station. He learned at Brooklyn Tech? Yes. You know what? I had no idea Cousin Brucey was still on the air. I also didn't realize, do you own WABC Radio now? When I bought WABC, he was 87 years old. I brought him back to his home station of WABC. And guess what? 87 years old, I gave him a 30-year contract. (laughs) Okay. All right. Here's the thing that I'm getting at. When I went to Brooklyn Tech, it was all engineers just like you. And I was busting out to be an entrepreneur the way you became. When I'm reading your story in your book, How Far Do You Want to Go? I don't see an entrepreneur who's stuck in an engineering school. I see almost you flying through Brooklyn Tech, and it's hardly mentioned. Were you entrepreneurial in, in elementary school, in high school? I know a little bit about your college stuff, the way you were. Was it in your bones or not? I don't know. I did. You know, the only reason I went to Brooklyn Tech, all of my friends went to Brooklyn Tech from my grammar school. I didn't want to be, I, I, I'm, I'm an only child. I didn't want to be alone. So you know why I went to Brooklyn Tech? Why? It was my friends went to Brooklyn Tech. Yeah. And I wanted to be with my friends. And it's scary. And um, and you know, you know what me and Len Riggio did for Brooklyn Tech? We were so appreciative. We started the $10 million foundation, first time ever for a public high school. And we raised $10 million for Brooklyn Tech. And then I think they're up to 20 or $30 million now to give the kids of Brooklyn Tech uh, something. If the Board of Education couldn't afford to buy it for them new computers, wow, we did it. Wow. I remember going there, and the school would be shut down on a random Monday because the school ran out of money. It was, it was literally a funding holiday, like a lack of funding. Ho- All right, let me continue with your story. Okay, so you get this, and you say, this is way more fun than owning grocery stores. This is the jet business. What did you call it at the time? I forget the name. Uh, United Jet Fleet. Okay, and you say, all right, if I could do United Jet Fleet, I think I could do a deal to buy another one. And you started looking, and then you bought an airline. What was that I airline? I bought Tell an that airline. Story. 1983. Okay. Uh, this banker came to me. His name was Nelson Hippie. He, he was a big banker out of uh, Kansas City, but he borrowed his own money from his own bank to buy the airline. And, you know, that's taboo. You can't do that. So I, they knew I loved airplanes. They knew I, I, I love airplanes and I'm a sucker to write a check. I bought an airline in December 1983 to give him the money to pay back his bank, his own bank, 
so he doesn't get in trouble. So I bought the airline, and I, I, I go down. The headquarters was down in Smyrna, Tennessee, was a subsidiary of Nashville. And the first meeting we go to in January of 84, we meet the CEO, and he wants to file bankruptcy. Bankruptcy? My dad. What did we buy here? So you know what we did? We fired the CEO. <laughs> uh -huh. And we kept the company going. Uh, and the company did well for a long time. Uh, we Wait, we don't had, take me to the end had, of the story had, yet. This is a fascinating story. Huh? John, I got to stop you. Don't take me to the end of the story. This is a fascinating story. You buy it. What did you do to turn it around? I know eventually what happened in the end, and we're going to get to that. But what did you do to get this airline to grow? Uh, we, we put in responsible people that 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 cared about the company and uh, and uh, we, we made it go. Put, remember that word, common sense? Yeah, so what was the common sense thing you we did beyond just hiring people? We applied common sense. We sat went down with the unions. We applied common sense. We sat down with the executives, applied common sense, and guess what? We were successful until one day. People, what was people's it? People's Express, the biggest crooks in the world. Because everybody, they, they're, they're the ones that, that, that screwed uh, Wall Street. They, were, they told everybody they're doing so well, they're going to fly to uh, San Francisco, to Los Angeles for, for $99. Up to that point, Capital Airlines was the cheap for a flight. $199 to Los Angeles, $199 uh, to San Francisco. We were, our airplanes were full all the time. We're scratching our heads. You can't put enough fuel in the airplane for $99 to fly these people. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out, but it was late in the process, there were a bunch of crooks, and they were cooking, they were cooking the books. Is that what we say down on Wall Street? And we sold the airline. The people we sold it to blew up. We went to bankruptcy court to cover our airplanes. Then we started a Canadian airline. That's a separate story. We, went, we got back on our airplanes uh, in bankruptcy court, and I met, we met a trustee. And by the way, I had come back to New York to run the grocery stores after we sold the airline. I was bored. I was bored. Hey, you know what? Actually, it was more than that that you said in the book that I thought was really helpful to hear. You said it was almost like you felt like a lesser person. Here you are flying around the world, running the world running in some the cases. Whole world. Running the whole world. I love that you say that. That's a thing you're not supposed to say outside of the 1980s, and you say it. And you go, I feel like I'm running the world, and now I'm back to grocery stores selling cat food, which it wasn't grocery bad. You said on the west side. You know, 30 stores. I'm running the world. Now I'm back to the west side. Okay. And so then you say, all right, what do I do next? Here's the realization that I think you had. It was, I have the ability to buy companies here, and because we have a cash flow-based business, I can use the cash flow to pay off any debt that I take. And this is where and you did go borrow money. Don't forget the $100 million in real estate. And the $100 million in real estate, right. Okay, so you go and you, and you say, I'm in search of a deal. How did you end up with Ron Perlman, who ended up buying Revlon and Marvel and all these other things? I'll How give it to you real you fast. I'll give it to you real fast. Go ahead. I'm bored. Remember my first lawyer that, that financed me, Sam Stein, Filigree Foods, a wholesale grocery. Mm -hmm. His brother was Lou Stein, chairman and CEO of Food Fair. Okay. Big chain in those days. Food Fair went bankrupt. They owned Pantry Pride in Florida. 
Guess what? They brought me in. They liked me. Sam Stein liked me. Remember, he was my uh, lawyer. And, and we ended up buying all the Pantry Pride stores, which was a subsidiary of Food Fair, from Key West all the way to, to uh, Riviera Beach. And they sell it to me. It's such a great deal. You know, uh, maybe it's, it's the only time Ron Perlman didn't get the optimum price. You know, he was asking for a hundred million. A hundred million was a lot of money in those days. And I paid thirty-eight million dollars. And you know what Chemical Bank lend, loaned me to buy that those deals? Mm -mm. Thirty-eight million dollars. I had to put up two million in equity, and I came to the closing. Somehow I was a million dollars short. But the deal closed. So I bought Pantry Pride. Uh-huh. So, so I have a big Florida operation now. Then Gristani's was owned by Southland Corporation, 7-Eleven. They have 7,500 7-Elevens, 48 Gristini stores. The CEO finally says, what am I doing with 48 Gristini stores? I fly down to Dallas on a Friday. We have lunch. And, you know, lunch for the guys in Dallas in those days was uh, scotch. By 5 o'clock, we had a letter of intent to buy Gristini's in New York. Okay. So, and then we go to the bankruptcy court, and the guy selling me Capital Airlines in the airplanes, he also has, he's a trustee for an oil company called United Refining. Wait, let, let me pause for a moment. I, I bought I, that too. That part, that part is, I want to spend some time on that. By the way, do you, I'm looking at you. You're dressing like I could dress. I, I'm trying to look beyond you to see, is there any wealth or anything? Do you get to, what do you get to do that's fun with all this money that you have? I'm going to come back because I want to talk to you about the grocery store for a moment. I, but, I, I just have fun. I, you know what I did for fun lately? What? I bought WABC radio for I fun. I get that. I get and that. Because you, you probably fun. grew up listening to them. This was, I get for for people who don't know, WABC Radio is and was incredibly influential in The most in New iconic York. station in the country. By far. A uh, hundred years old. And I used to listen to Cousin Brucey uh, when I was going to school. And the first thing I did is bring Cousin Brucey back to WABC. He was 87 years old. I gave him a 30-year contract. But, well, here's the thing with them. They were... If you went to a Yankee game, they were the ones who would broadcast the game, right? So that was huge. They yes. also were the ones who got Rush Limbaugh on the on the map, Sean Hannity on the map. Uh, what's her name uh, from The View? Um, I forget the woman who's the who's the, the the head woman who's on The View there, who took over for Barbara Walters. She was on there, and we're talking about a storied a company. So I get that that would be a fun thing for you to do. Let, let's go back then to the grocery store. Well, wait, I, let me I, finish. The other thing yes. is fun. Oh, yeah, please. Yankees. You mentioned you brought up the Yankees. I love the Yankees. Yes. The Yankees called me up and says, we want you to be our partner. We're opening up a new minor league team in Staten Island. Guess okay. what? Who's going to say no to the Would you say no to the Yankees? <laughs> no. I'm not going to say no. So we bought a minor league team with the Yankees, a partner in the, with the Yankees, and we uh, named them the Ferry Hawks. And they're in Staten Island, and they're, they're doing great. All right. You see, what I'm looking for is like, do you end up getting cars? Do you end up getting all kinds of like women and parties? No, you're a guy who went back to your old Greek religious Orthodox roots. I, you're not uh, looking for that kind I of thing. I am the highest rank 
person in the Greek Orthodox Church in North America. I, you know what? I could go off on tangents here. Let me come back into the grocery store because here's the thing. What I thought that was interesting was it wasn't that you just bought these grocery stores from Ron Perlman. It was that Ron Perlman was trying to make a deal. These grocery stores he had were not part of the deal. He needed to shuck them. Uh, Chemical Bank says- I will tell you what happened. Please, tell me the whole story. They wanted $100 million for it. Right. We were negotiating for six months with, oh my God, what was his name? He passed away. Not Bruce Slovin. His other uh, big guy that Ron Perlman had, I don't remember his name. And we were negotiating for six months. Chemical Bank. Yes. Finally says to Ron Perlman, you better close on this deal because if you only know how to buy assets, we're not going to lend you the money. They said, prove to us you. that if you buy this big basket of assets, that you yes. can sell some of them and recoup the money. And That's so he's it. desperate. To... So okay. he, told, he told Perlman, you want $500 million from us, you have to prove that you know how to sell. So we ended up buying, instead of $100 million for, for Pantry Pride, we ended up paying $38 million, of which was $2 million in equity, and I was a million short. So now I bought Pantry Pride. Okay. And, um, and then Gristides. And then I bought Gristides from the software company. Why are you known as the Gristides, the Gristides guy when that's just one aspect I of your I can't empire. lose that name. Why? Why, why, is, uh, why is Perlman known as the Revlon guy? I get it. You know what I think it is? I, I'll tell you what it is for me. Yes. It's not the biggest business. I grew up in New York. Gristides was one of these places. You know what it was? It was Gristides, and then there was Key Food and A&P. A&P and Key Food was for the lesser boroughs, which is people what we felt to me, You know what people say to me? Yes. Because you're in New York. Oh, Gristides is too high. And you know what I say to them? Gristides is the only one that hasn't gone bankrupt. Everybody else has gone bankrupt. We bought Agostino because they were going bankrupt. Why did you not go back? Oh, you're saying you didn't go bankrupt because you didn't lower your prices. You didn't No, and the reason I lower the prices is to be able to run the right business and not just go in there and just give, give things away like the traditional supermarket. Oh, we're going to have 19, 10 cents milk. You know, I mean, look, we ran a business. We ran it correctly and we stayed in business. Okay. All right. So then you're seeing I can buy these assets. Let's look for more distressed assets. You come across a gas station collection that also refines uh, gas, refines yes, oil. And I said, oh, my God, I'm going to get 400 gas stations for, for this deal. Little did I know, it wasn't the gas stations making the money. It was the oil refinery making the money. And did you really not it. know that? You seem like a very analytical person. Did you not know that till after you bought the deal? Better, I didn't know it till after I bought it. Okay. And then America you know, I, is starting. I remember going to the creditors committee. Yes. And I'm sitting in front of, you know, there's, there's this, like 40 lawyers in this big, long conference room. I bet you the billing rate was probably 50000 an hour. And, and they, I sit down with the creditors committee of the oil company of Chase Manhattan Bank, Marine Midland. Oh, I forget who else. And I remember saying, Jeff, Oh, it's just whatever. He says to me, what do you know about oil business? I wanted to be the CEO of the oil company. What do you know about the oil business? I said, well, you know, I know about olive oil. I know about Western oil, Mazzola oil. <laughs> oh, crude oil is just another oil. They were not happy I said that. But I became CEO. 
And after 30 days of running the oil company, I have to have a creditors meeting with the creditors, the banks, you know, the mm -hmm. 50 lawyers in one room, along with the bankers. And you have to give them a financial statement. So the first month I ran the company, I, mean, I ran it for about two, three months before the next creditors meeting. And he said, Mr. Katsimatidis, did you bring a financial statement? I said, yes, I got it. I got it right here. I got it right here. How much did you make last month? Don't forget, I paid $7.5 million for the oil company, for the, the stock. I still owed the, the, we still owed the bankruptcy debt, $100 million. So I borrowed $7.5 million or $7 million from my personal credit line at Bankers Trust. Remember that name, Bankers Trust? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I said, well, Here's our financial statement. Last month, we made $7.5 million. They all fell off their chairs. It was no longer, can you be CEO of an oil company? It was, oh, okay. How are you going to pay us back the $100 million? Well, I said, I'll give you $10 million a year for $10 million. Plus, I'll play, pay post-petition interest. They said, okay. We shook hands. And I bought the oil company. And the, w the way that you grew it was, I know later on, it was America was, uh, was facing high gas prices from Middle Eastern countries. America had, you were talking about hostage taking. There were people who taken hostages, I think, of, of your, your airline. And you were able to go on television and say, this is an American, a North American oil refined and sold we in America. Buy we bought, we have our own pipelines going into Canada. We bought all our oil from Canada. I created a commercial, which I'll give it to you if you need it, if you I'll want it. it. The, my first commercial, our gasoline is made from 100% North American oil made by American workers. And this is the time where everybody hated OPEC. Oh, everybody hated Venezuela. Why would you buy? Why would you buy your gasoline from Sitka? Why from owned by Venezuela? Why would you buy foreign oil? Guess what? We doubled our sales, and we did great, and the company did great. So no matter how good we were doing before, we did even better. And by by creating the fact that you buy your gasoline from me. You're buying American-made gasoline. And that's what turned it around. Yes. That's what allowed it to grow. Yes. Okay. Is the, Are you trying to buy CNN right now? There's a rumor like that uh, this morning. Um, <laughs> I, I think Ted Turner created CNN. Yes. We didn't agree with everything he did, but he delivered the news. Right now, CNN problem is they only deliver opinions. And uh, uh, his latest CEO, uh, they only have uh, 400,000, 500,000 viewers worldwide. And guess what? He put on Donald Trump. Well, who I don't agree with on everything he says. But he had three and a half million viewers. So they fired the guy. Can you believe you're firing a CEO because he brought in three and a half million viewers? You're saying because that's a lot? Everyone was expecting even more from that, and that's 
They've been that... had three and a half million viewers in 30 years or 20 Okay, years. so what would you do? You'd bring him back? No, I would bring more common sense to CNN. Okay. And they, I'd bring back Ted Turner. And, uh, <laughs> you know, look, I believe in common sense. What I try to bring to WABC, common sense. Democratic voices, Republican voices, tell the truth. Tell, tell, the, tell the truth about everything. And As we are talking two, Rudy Giuliani. If there's two truths, tell both of them. Let your listeners or your viewers decide what they want to believe. John, as, as we're talking, Rudy Kennedy. Giuliani is on the air right now, the guy who said that the election was stolen and among among other things. So I have Andrew Cuomo on. I got in trouble for putting Andrew Cuomo on. So that's what you would I, do. You're saying wait, who's the first yes. person? Who was the first person to put Robert Kennedy on? You had Robert Kennedy on. I yes, see. The first person made worldwide news. All right. So you would do that on CNN. You would say, let's get Rudy Giuliani on CNN. Let's get Andrew Cuomo on. I, I would have my five o'clock show. I'm on every day for between five and six. I have common sense Democrats, common sense Republicans. I had uh, Kevin McCarthy on the night that uh, they, they got the election uh, results in from the, uh, uh, from the budget. And okay. you know what I say to people? Let the people in the middle decide. Extremism on the left, extremism on the right, screw them. Let the common sense Americans right in the middle of both sides make sure that our country goes in the right direction. You know who I admire? Cool. You know, I ran Bill Clinton's campaign for a while. Okay, but you know who I admire? Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton, they didn't like each other, but they sat, they sat down and they made a deal and took the deficit from five and a half trillion, brought it down to five trillion. You sit down on the round table and you make a deal. Common sense. You Ronald Reagan, Tip O'Neill, same thing. They sat around the round table made a decision. And what I said to Kevin McCarthy, I'm glad that you and Joe Biden sat down and made a deal. Because I don't know who was running Joe Biden's campaign before or Joe Biden's White House, but it seems like when there was a change of chief of staffs, look at it. They opened up, they made a deal in Alaska to pump more oil. Let me tell you what, what the story is. You know, in Alaska, you got, and nobody tells you these things. You have a, a pipeline that we own. The United States owns it. We have the 2 million barrels a day. You know how much they're shipping? 375. They'd rather buy oil from Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and Russia instead of buying it from our own country. I, I mean, see. so, but Senator Dan Sullivan, whatever I tell you, go back and double check. Senator I'm, I'm double-checking right now the list of people who are on your site. I yeah. don't see a lot of, like, both Senator sides on there. And but... Sullivan went. Okay. The White House made a deal with Joe Biden. They're, they're pumping an additional 200,000 or 250,000 barrels out of Alaska. They brought down the price of oil down to $68 a barrel two weeks ago. And guess what? The Saudis panicked. They go on television that Sunday morning. And say we're going to cut 
We're going to a million barrels a day to panic the American people to raise the price back to eighty or ninety dollars. Right, John, a now, now dollars has moved. Okay, you're taking me out of my element. My element is, I, is I, business. I, to, no, you take me all you want, but I'm I'm going to bring ours both back into this. Here's the thing that I'm taking away from this. Yes, I see your passion for this. And it feels to me like this is really your fun thing that you got to buy after all the hard work. This is you getting to express yourself, getting to bring people on whose ideas are kind of, I don't know, they boil the blood in one way or the other. And you get to express your ideas just, with I your show, America. Cats and Cosby. I love our city. I love our city. I love yes. our state. I love America. And what I want to do is have common sense prevail. And that's, right. that's the important thing. Why, why go into this instead of business? You're so good at business. Why not say, I'm going to be the person who's going to create the, I don't know, the next education of business. Make it more interesting. Of course, I, Where is, I don't give a crap about making another billion dollars. I don't give a do, crap. Why I not teach other people right how thing. to make a billion I wanna, dollars? I want to like make, make, I want to do the right thing. So I want my kids and grandkids to come someday ah. and survive. I want, I want the kids. I'm chairman of the, of the police athletic league. Bob Lovethor, okay. our DA, trained me. And now what I want to do is help the kids of the inner city. Right now, all our black and brown kids are getting killed because there's nobody taking the, you know, believe, it, believe in law enforcement. All right, let me close out with this. By the way, I'd love to have you on even longer. You're one of my favorite guests now. But let me close out with this. One of the things that people will want to take away from this is, why him? Give us a few reasons. What is it that got you to reach a billion dollars that we can all emulate and get closer to your success? Well, if you look back into the page 255, if you're afraid to lose, you can't win. Okay. Now, you're a West Sider or you're in Manhattan? I moved from New York to California. Now I'm in Austin, Texas. Brand new for me. My God, you, you finally got chased out of California. No, California's great, you know, but I didn't. You know, I didn't love you know, it. You know, you know, you know who created the West, the West Side. You remember the West Side of Manhattan? How it was. I you know do, who yes. created the Columbus Avenue Festival? Uh, no. Oh, that was you. Me and my wife, Mark. I had no idea. Okay, there was no Columbus Avenue Festival. You know okay. why? I did? Why? To have fun. All right. So you're we saying had a million look, people. We'll have find- fun, enjoy, enjoy life. Give me more, more of like, what am I going to do tomorrow? Because if I have fun tomorrow, I'm going to end up drinking with some of my friends and having some of those like afternoon lunch whiskeys that you mentioned. Well, what you do is we're looking for, for, for the next thing to have fun with. I'm, I'm, I'm bored. I don't have enough to do. Okay. I can, if I could fix CNN worldwide to what Ted Turner envisioned originally, and create, recreate the iconic name of CNN. Don't make me that. I can see you doing that. I can see you doing it. I and I and frankly, I don't see other people wanting to do it because, truthfully, it feels like television news is old business. YouTube channels are more exciting. TikTok is more exciting. But for you, you're not looking for the next modern platform. You're not looking to do what Elon Musk did. You're looking to say these are uh, our legendary brands that are languishing, how do I pick them back up? How do, how I, do I fix them, it? How I'm do a I fixer. Fix I'm not a breaker. I see. Hey, John. I'm excited to have you on here. I do like the book. Here, actually, let me give you one, one negative feedback on the book because Tell I think me. it's important for the audience to hear. That first freaking chapter, 
You go, the first chapter is where you get to brag in a biography, where you get to say something like, and then I walked into the ABC studios and this thing that was a childhood dream of mine, I owned, I own it. Instead, what you do is you start off very small. It's like, then I go and I help with this building in New York City. And this is why it mattered to me. You should brag more in the beginning. And then people see, ah, I want to be more like him. I'm going to put you know, in the time and read the rest of the book. No, I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy that wears the Rolex watch. I noticed I'm that. I looked at the my watch Apple too. Watch. That's I, not even like the high-end you know, watch. You know, when people wear Rolex watches, and my friends come over and look at my watch. Look at it. It's a hundred thousand dollars. You know what I said? What do you want me to write a check and put a hundred thousand on my hand? A little bit of bragging would have been would have helped. So I'm glad that we did this interview where I could brag on your behalf. Thank you so much, and I look forward to meeting you in person and 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 having a drink together. Let me ask you this. I'm going to hold you to it. I have loved, as a kid growing up in New York, WABC. Can I come and see the inside? As a person who's obviously broadcast because I, I was influenced, can I come you, inside? I will put you in the studio. I'll put I you on my it. 5 o'clock show that we do live every day and, and give you the experience of listening, of talking to a million people at once. Just to walk in there would be a dream. To be on the air would be a killer dream. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being on here. Thanks, everyone.